And uh, with that, we'll get started on our sermon. We're going to be reading a very familiar story this morning for most of us. Uh, We'll be reading out of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, as I read this, I want to ask us to try and read uh, and follow along and think and consider this passage with, uh, with an open heart and fresh ears. This is one of those stories that's so familiar, even for people who don't consider themselves Christians, that uh, oftentimes we miss the wonder of it and the beauty embedded in the birth of Jesus. So if you're physically able, I'm gonna ask you to stand uh, with me as I read God's word for us. This is from Luke chapter two, verses one through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Um, Thank you for such a wonderful gift that you give us in your word, that you remind us that you are a God who uh, loves your creation so much that you draw near to us in these ways that are almost at times unbelievable and hard to wrap our minds and our hearts around. As we consider the wonder and the joy that comes with realizing that you came into the world and took on human flesh and lived among us, I pray that we would consider the lengths that you go to in your love for fallen humanity and us personally and what that means for us for our present, for our past, and for our future. And I pray that we would come away this morning with a deeper sense of uh, awe and gratitude for just how beautiful you are. 
and the ways that we see your beauty unfold through your salvation and through your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, as I said, this is one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. It's, um, it's preached, uh, one of these gospel passages around the birth of Jesus is preached uh, every year. I read an article earlier this week uh, where the author was talking about how most pastors will preach somewhere around 160 Advent sermons in their career. And he was talking about the need for us to approach familiar stories asking God to uh, see them with fresh eyes through his spirit. And in one sense, that was encouraging to me. In another one, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, in my own life, in my faith, you know, I've, I've, I've thought about this as I was writing the sermon, and two things really came to my mind in my experience. You know, when I first heard the gospel and considered these aspects of it, Jesus, God himself, coming and living among us, I, I remember when I first came to faith, uh, the most difficult part in some ways to truly believe that it, it was real. It was so hard to believe that God really did all of that and that it really transformed me and my life in a deeply personal way. Uh, as I moved on, and you may, you may relate to one of these or both of these, as I moved on in my faith over the years, I found that one of the biggest challenges that I face is that we, I face is that we become so familiar with this uh, that it tends to lose its power and effect on us. And that's not because the word of God loses its power, it's because we've become so familiar with God and uh, scripture and what it tells us. And our own finite and fallen natures become so familiar with God and what he says and what it means for us that there's a sense in which we struggle to not grow cold or indifferent. I think the story of Jesus' birth is certainly one of those um, parts of scripture that we all fall prey to doing that with to some extent or another. So this morning, as we're reading this story and thinking about it together, I just want us to, to consider this, that through the birth of Jesus, what we're really seeing is that the gospel breaks into the real world, a world that you and I live in, uh, and that by its very nature, it's designed to fill us with a renewed sense of wonder that brings us to genuine worship. So we'll just consider those th three things together. Uh, first, that the gospel came into the real world. Uh, this story that I just read for us is not a Disney movie. Uh, you know, you go into popular culture and people think about goodwill and peace among men and they love that idea. They hear the birth story of Jesus and they think that's very inspiring. I'm gonna try and be a better guy this next year. And that's not what this story is about at all. Uh, this is not a Disney movie that's meant to inspire us to do better or be better as Norman said so well in the reading of the law this morning. Um, there's two movements just in this short passage that I read for us that are part of these first several chapters in gospel. There's two movements that kind of move God's uh, story of redemption forward in a new and beautiful way. Uh, first, there's a movement with Jesus' birth. There's a movement from prophecy or promise to fulfillment in the real world. Uh, all of God's promises, especially those that he gave in the Old Testament all the way up uh, to John the Baptist, are now being brought to fulfillment in a radical new way in the birth of Jesus. Uh, 
First, there was a promise of, the king, of a king in the Old Testament. It's one of the things that God constantly would tell his people, that there would be a king that would reign and rule among his people in a way that they had never seen and experienced before. Uh, furthermore, that it would come from the small town that the story mentions in Bethlehem. And if you're unfamiliar with this part of uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the town of Bethlehem was actually the ancestral home of David, who was one of the most famous kings in the Old Testament. Uh, it's all those, also the place that he was actually anointed to be king, and sometimes it's referred to as the city of David uh, in that sense. In the Gospel of Matthew, he makes a point of highlighting this when he quotes the prophet Micah in 5.2, and he says, but you, Bethlehem, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. You see, God made a promise to his people all throughout redemptive history that there would come a king through David who would reign in a rule in a way that they had never seen or experienced before. That he would reign in a kingdom that would last forever. Uh, there's also a movement in terms of a fulfillment of the promise of a Messiah. We see that in the birth of Jesus. Uh, the prophet Isaiah makes much of this. He says much about something that's commonly referred to as a suffering servant who would come and he would save God's people. In Isaiah 7:14, uh, the prophet says to the nation of Israel, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. If, if you're unfamiliar with that name, it literally means God with us. Uh, in our call to worship this morning, I had us read from uh, Isaiah chapter 9, and that's a passage that God, uh, that highlights the prophet speaking to God's people. <clears throat> in the context in which he said it, they were in the midst of time of uh, great fear and powerlessness and hopelessness as the world seemed to be unraveling around them. <clears throat> And God speaks this promise about a Messiah that would come who would bring God's presence among his people in a way that was radically new and different. Uh, he speaks about the coming Messiah who would perfectly embody God's characteristics, that they would see that in the Messiah in a way they had never seen it before, and that he would govern his people justly and uh, with grace and with mercy. Yeah, and that was a promise for them then. But you know, the beauty of reading these birth accounts of Jesus is that it reminds us that it's also a promise for you and I today. Uh, it's a promise that God's brought to fulfillment as Jesus arrives and uh, lives among us. And you see that in our passage that we're studying. Uh, in Luke 2.11, when the angel comes and makes a pronouncement to the shepherds, he says, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so what he's saying is that the promises of future blessing that these Old Testament prophets gave to people then are now becoming a reality in flesh and blood. Uh, that there would be a savior who would save us from our sins. We see that in Jesus. Uh, that there would be a Christ, literally it's translated into Messiah, who would fulfill all of our deepest hopes and meet our deepest needs. Uh, that there would be a Lord who would reign and rule in perfect righteousness in the way that no king in Israel had ever done before. 
Another movement that we see in this passage is God literally moves from heaven to earth in a way that he's never done before. Uh, as I said, this happened in a real place, at a real time in history, among real ordinary people. Uh, we've been going through this Advent series where Rob has been uh, doing what he does so well and talking about these incredibly complex passages that display the glory and the righteousness of God. And particularly in our last passage, uh, he talked about God's glory being revealed in the throne room of heaven in Revelation 5 and how there's this very real sense of God's unapproachability without supernatural intervention. Uh, and in the passage that we read last week, if you're here in Revelation 5, one of the ways that it describes Jesus as he appears in that passage is as the root of David. And so what are we seeing here in Luke chapter 2, that that root of David is breaking into creation in the small town of Bethlehem. If you were an Old Testament Israelite, that's not where you would think that God would show up. You would think that he might show up in Jerusalem, in the center of Jerusalem, which would be the spiritual epicenter of the universe for them. Uh, if you were a Gentile during that time, you would think if God was gonna show up, he would show up in the seat of worldly power at the very center of the Roman Empire. Uh, if we were waiting for God to appear now, we would not think that he would show up in a typical dusty small farm town. We would think that he would show up somewhere like Washington, D.C., or maybe Buckingham Palace. Or if he wasn't gonna show up among the seats of power in the world as we know it, he would show up in the majesty of creation. That maybe he would show up on the top of Mount Whitney, the highest mountain in the lower 48 states, or on top of Half Dome, the most beautiful piece of granite on the earth. Uh, but that's not where he came. He came to a dirty, dusty suburb outside of Jerusalem uh, among people who you wouldn't expect him to show up with. Uh, he also came among real people. I think we often think about the, the people that are listed in this story uh, as cardboard human beings. They're not real people who lived real lives, but they're very much like you and I. When we think about Mary and Joseph, this was an ordinary young couple with an unexpected pregnancy. Now, if you're a parent, you know all the stress, all the worry, all the fear, all the unknown variables that come with having a child, and they'd be facing all of that. Uh, them in particular, actually, would be uh, a couple that was facing the very real possibility of becoming the subject of local gossip, given how the birth came about for them. Mary in particular was a young woman who found herself with child technically before she was married. Uh, just by virtue of being a female in the ancient world, she did not hold a place of prominence. Uh, the challenge to her faith that she must have experienced, even in light of the revelation she was given by angels, is something that I cannot begin to wrap my mind around. These were real people that struggled in real ways. Uh, the shepherds, among my favorite people uh, in the Bible, these were not uh, people who were um, living in positions of prominence and power. Uh, what we know about ancient shepherds was that they were people that lived on the outskirts of society. They likely spent most of their life in the wilderness. They probably slept with or near livestock most nights. And Janie probably feels like she does that now, actually, now that I said that out loud. Uh, they were not people of importance. They didn't hold influence in culture or society. 
Uh, they were people like most of us. They were probably just like you and I. Imagine for a moment, we were talking about Ladle when we were doing announcements. Imagine for a moment if our homeless friends and neighbors that we see every Sunday when we come down here came from Balboa Park and said an angelic host appeared to them last night and said that God was going to be born at the Ladle program this Sunday afternoon. It would be ridiculous. It'd be unbelievable. It'd be hard for us to wrap our mind around. But that's exactly what happened here. God showed up in the most unexpected place and said, this is where I will come and live among my people. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Gospel of Luke, but really uh, we see that God operating this way in all of Scripture, is that God is all about the reversal of what we expect him to do and how we expect him to operate in the world. When we read this story, what we see is that Jesus descends from the highest position of glory and majesty uh, from the heavenly realms, and he takes on the lowest possible position that God could take. Uh, he goes from being worshipped in the highest heavens uh, to a position of complete weakness and frailty and taking on the form of a child. He lowers himself to the ultimate position of humility. He takes on humanity, and when we say that, it means he takes on human flesh and experiences all the weaknesses of human life and all the struggles that are involved in being a real human being and all the suffering that come along, comes along with it. And he does that so people that are uh, distracted and weighed down uh, and troubled by the cares of the world that they live in, by their own sin and the suffering that they experience it, could not only witness but benefit from the greatest gift that God's ever brought to humanity. And in receiving that gift, being lifted up to positions of honor and glory and blessing. You know, that brings us to the second part of what I want us to think about, um, that when we think about the virgin birth of Jesus, that it reminds us that the gospel, by its very nature, is designed to fill us with wonder and to renew that sense of wonder in us. Uh, in the opening chapters here especially, but the whole gospel of Luke, he really highlights some of the ways that the arrival of Jesus fills all of creation with a, a sense of wonder and awe at what God's doing. Uh, if you watch the movement of the shepherds, they uh, have the classic movement of most human beings who encounter the supernatural where they begin with outright terror and fear. Uh, it turns to wonder, and for them it becomes genuine excitement after realizing what God has revealed to them. I remember some years back when I started uh, fishing uh, offshore, you go on these long trips where you'll go for three or five days at a time, and they'll have staterooms, which are really just like big coffin-sized rooms with two bunks. Sometimes you stay with somebody you know, and sometimes you stay with people you don't know. I happened to get on a five-day trip, got down to my stateroom, started unpacking, and an older gentleman came in, and uh, I started talking with him, and I said, oh, what do you do? He said, I'm the district attorney for Orange County. Now, if you know me and my background, I instantly felt super uncomfortable. <laughs> and while there was no real reason for me to be nervous around a district attorney, I was like filled with terror. I almost wanted to go upstairs and see if I could get my stateroom changed. And uh, I cracked a joke just to kind of break the tension. I said, oh yeah, if you knew my background, I'm a, 
you know, I'm in ministry at my church now, but if you knew my background, <laughs> you would see why this is kind of a funny thing for me to be shacked up with you for the next five days. And he said, you know, when I'm here, Brian, I'm just a fisherman. And when he said that, I was like, I just relaxed. And I was like, that's great. And then we began to talk about fishing, and I was like, this is fantastic. This guy I was super scared of is really totally approachable. The shepherds here in this story have this whole movement of uh, going and seeing something supernatural unfold before them, being filled with terror. When they hear and understand what the angels are announcing to them, they're filled with a wonder at what it could mean. And when they finally arrive and see this child, they're filled with a genuine excitement at what it means for humanity and all of creation, and them personally as well. Uh, if you notice in this passage, Luke makes this offhand comment about everybody that the shepherds talk to. He makes this offhand remark that when the shepherds show up, they tell everybody that's around what the angels had shared with them. And it says that everybody who heard it was filled with wonder at the revelation that was given to the shepherds. Uh, one of the things that I love about God is he is the master of throwing everything we think we know about him on its head. Um, and when he does that, he helps us remember that what we think we know about how he's going to operate is not always the case. And that fills with, with a sense of genuine wonder at what he's going to do next and what he's up to and what it means for the world and what it means for us personally. Uh, here in this account, what we see is that he's giving the lowest rung in society in the ancient world a front row seat to the very glory of God being revealed in Jesus' birth. Uh, they get to witness God's greatest sign of favor given to humanity, and it's found in a manger surrounded by people who are uh, the outsiders in ancient culture. God's greatest gift, this is true in all of Scripture, but especially in this story, that God's greatest gift is given to those that we often think are least likely to receive it, right? Uh, and, you know, thinking about us individually, um, this is typically the way that we see God's salvation working out in our own lives. Whether you had a sudden conversion experience in your own life, you're one of those people who one day had this encounter with God and you suddenly knew and saw that Jesus was the Son of God and that salvation was available through him. Or you're one of the many people who had a gradual growing faith that seemed to emerge in your life, there's this universal aspect on how the Spirit works those truths into our hearts and into our lives. We typically find ourselves wondering if what God says about the gospel is really true, uh, and whether it's really true for us personally. Uh, that if everything that God has said that he will do, uh, he'll do for us personally. If Jesus giving himself for us really means that God is going to redeem our past, that he redeems our present, and that he redeems our future. When you and I think about God's glory being revealed among people, we typically don't think about our own life as a very good place for him to do that. What I find when I do counseling or even when I consider my own life is that it's very easy for me to think about the mundane aspects of my existence, the ordinary aspects of my life and the way that I live it. Or more often what I find with people is that it's very easy for us to focus on the messes that we make or the troubles and the hardships that we find ourselves facing. Uh, 
But you know, what I've seen time and time again is that that's the exact place where God chooses to show up and display his glory. In considering the birth of Jesus, what God is reminding us of uh, and wants us to see is that he also doesn't ignore our difficulties. Uh, One of the most beautiful parts about this story is that Jesus came to a very helpless state uh, to be rejected by men in his life, to suffer for our sins and to die for our sins, uh, to give us true life and to give us genuine peace with God. Now to hear that promise is one thing. You may have just had the best Christmas of your life. You may be here this morning and you might have just experienced the worst Christmas of your life. I don't know. Uh, You may be like me and many of us who as we go through life, we're learning to celebrate holidays uh, after the loss of a loved one. Knowing that things this side of heaven will never quite be the same. And learning how to have hope in God's arrival among us while we grieve the loss of those that we love. But if this story reminds us of anything, it reminds us that through Jesus' birth, he wants us to know and to remember that even in our hardships or our failings, that he has come among us to make something beautiful out of our lives, especially the areas where we experience pain and difficulty and struggle in our faith. As a result of that process, that results in the third thing, that when we really see that, we're reminded by that, by his spirit and through scripture, uh, that we're brought to a genuine sense of worship. And in some ways, I think this can be the hardest for a lot of us to keep a grasp on. Uh, I was reading an article by John Piper this week, and he made a point about this passage in uh, writing about Jesus' birth. Uh, He said there's two great purposes in this story. Uh, He said that it reveals God's glory and our peace. That God's glory rises from redeemed humanity in a sense up to God glorifying him through his good work through saving uh, humanity. And then also his peace descending from heaven into those that he has saved through the birth and the life of his son. Uh, When you and I think about that, when we're reminded of that, we think about the story, even in the the birth of uh, Jesus as an infant, uh, we begin to to remember and appreciate the very lengths that God has gone to uh, on our behalf Um, to save us from the things that overwhelm us, from the troubles that we have in this life, to save us from the sin that we cannot right on our own, to make us a part of his family something that we could never achieve outside of his intervention. And the more that we see that, the more that we uh, are transformed by that truth, God turns us into people who genuinely have a sense of appreciation for what he's done and the lengths that he's gone to. Uh, We also grow in a genuine desire to worship him. That's something that only God cultivates in us. Uh, When we experience his favor, that's possible only through his son, Uh, we experience the peace that the angels talk about. You know, they make the statement that there will be peace among those with whom God is pleased or on on whom his favor rests. Uh, Sometimes this is misinterpreted to mean goodwill that men cultivate among one another. And that's just not it. Uh, That's actually not possible for people to have the type of peace that God promises 
outside of his work, outside of Christ. Uh, this is the peace of God that's offered to people who otherwise wouldn't have it, that Jesus brings with his birth, with his entrance into humanity among us, uh, especially those people who are troubled by suffering and pain and their own sins that dog them. Uh, third, that means that God is glorified when we learn to worship him uh, just by letting him do his work in our lives. You know, one of the biggest uh, challenges that I faced early in my faith is that I thought that Christianity was a do-it-yourself project, that somehow that God had wiped the slate clean and given me a fresh start, and that I would have to practice spiritual disciplines or grow in holiness, and that would please God, and somehow then I would unlock the spiritual Rubik's Cube that would give me peace with God. And that never happened. Uh, but here, he's talking about the peace that comes through having a relationship with Christ as coming and living among us and bridging the gap between us and God as our Father. And we do that uh, through God's work in our hearts and in our lives. It's something that he does for us that we benefit from. Uh, we glorify God when we uh, see his favor entering into our lives, bringing a genuine peace that invades our heart and transforms how we understand him and how we view the world. Uh, that happens as a result of Christ's resurrected spirit entering into our lives and transforming us into people who look more and more like his son and less and less like the world. Uh, people who genuinely begin to display the love of Jesus to a weary world that's sin sick. Uh, we glorify God ultimately as we are slowly but surely transformed in every aspect of our life. That's only possible with the birth of Jesus and his life that he lived uh, to bring us peace between us and God. And that happens in every respect of our existence. It happens in every aspect of our lives. Uh, think about the people in this story in the same way that the shepherds return to their life, praising and glorifying God, uh, we learn to do the same things in the very places where God has set us. It doesn't mean that we drop our entire life and become radical missionaries that go to foreign places. Some of us do. The reality is, is most of us are very much like the shepherds. God's going to send us back to our jobs and back to the relationships that we know, teaching us how to honor him and glorify him, how we live out our faith publicly before others. Uh, similar to the way that Mary treasured uh, and pondered everything that God had revealed and done in her life, you and I are called to learn to treasure God's work in our everyday life. Certainly, we will not experience anything as supernatural and radical as she did. Uh, but nonetheless, we are given the gift of learning how to treat God's work in our life as a treasure. And being able to grow in our ability to see that particularly in the ways that we find it hard to see God's blessing and his work uh, in our difficulties and where we struggle in our faith. Uh, finally, we're called to live lives of gratitude. What does that mean? That means that we're filled with a growing gratitude, not only at Jesus' arrival among us, uh, but the fact that he lived his entire life uh, for us to have peace with our Heavenly Father for us to know that he truly has redeemed our past, which we couldn't clean up on our own, that he gives us significance and purpose that's eternal in nature in our present life, 
and that because of his death and resurrection, he gives us a promise of eternal hope and a future that we cannot squander, that we cannot lose, because Christ has won it for us, and God is sure to bring it to pass. And in thinking about the child uh, Jesus and his entrance into humanity and what it means for you and I, whether this is the first year that we're considering it or it's the 30th year that we're thinking about Christmas and what it means for us in our faith, uh, ultimately what we're called to do is to pause and to celebrate God's glory being revealed not only to humanity but in our lives and that he gives us the gift of sharing that with the people that we live among in the real world. Sharing the truth and the beauty of the gospel, the glory of God as it displays itself in our imperfect life and our imperfect faith with those people that don't know him. That makes Christmas a beautiful story. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that your word is true and beautiful and um, as familiar as it can be to us. Um, that you can bring us a sense of renewed hope and strengthen our faith through what you have done by entering in and living among us in a beautiful and radical way through your son. We pray that thinking about his birth, that we're also uh, reminded that it means that you have redeemed um, every part of our lives, living as a real man and doing what we couldn't do and living a, a perfect and holy and righteous life and that that transforms our existence as people that you have called to be your own. We pray that you would help us to grow in our gratitude to you for doing that. When we didn't know you, Lord, when we were still sinners, you saved us and you gave your son for us and that you would teach us to be people who are eager to share that beautiful gift of salvation with those that don't know you in our everyday lives. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray these things. Amen.